Hi everyone, my name is Annie and I will be giving the scripture passage reading for this week, which comes from Luke chapter 4 verses 1 to 13 in ESV. Feel free to follow along in your own Bibles or with the passage on the screen. Once again, Luke chapter 4 verses 1 to 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem, and sat him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. The word of the Lord. Hello, good morning again, Cornerstone. Great to join you uh, as we worship together as one church. And so this morning, we are continuing in our series through the Gospel of Luke. And here we are in chapter 4 of this book, and we see Jesus about to begin his public ministry. And um, the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all describe this interaction between Jesus and the devil, which we just read in Luke chapter 4. And now uh, these accounts in these other Gospels are a little bit different from the account that we see here in Luke. Uh, for example, Matthew has a little bit different ordering of events uh, of the temptations that Jesus faces. And Mark actually does not even include any specifics of the temptations at all. But it does not mean that any of the accounts are wrong or, you know, they're, they're inaccurate in any way. Um, each author um, has a purpose in how they convey uh, the, the, these accounts. And so uh, the temptation here in Luke uh, has a different purpose than what we might see in Matthew. So that's why the, uh, the ordering of accounts might differ a little bit. So the, the, the temptation occurs right before Jesus is about to begin his public ministry, like I just said, and right after he is baptized by John the Baptist. So all of this is kind of a preparation for his public ministry that is about to begin. And so uh, the temptation is kind of the final preparation. And in a way, it is the final test as well. And so um, to begin this part of, uh, of the temptation, he, he actually fasts for 40 days and nights in the Judean desert. Uh, and it's reminiscent of the 40 years of wandering in the desert after 
the Israelites escaped slavery from Egypt. Also, in the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah fasted for 40 days in various uh, different situations. And so, so in many ways, 40 days of fasting for Jesus is very symbolic. And even uh, the season of Lent that we celebrate uh, is a 40-day fasting period to celebrate Easter. And it's inspired by the fasting of Jesus. And in some ways, it's an imitation of that as well. Uh, in the same way, this fasting that Jesus does in our passage is also a preparation. He is preparing to be tested and to be tempted by the evil one. Uh, it makes it clear that although Jesus is the Son of God, he is also very human as well. And so this event marks this transition, which is very fitting. Jesus is being tested to prove his divine nature, to show that God incarnate himself cannot sin and fall into temptation, that he is indeed the Son of God. Now, there has been controversy over the years of, of whether or not the one tempting Jesus is truly the devil. Um, and some contend that it maybe was a demonic figure instead of Satan himself, or it was a testing that was occurring in the mind of Jesus. It was a dream that he was going through. But if you look at the original text in the Greek, uh, the passage refers to the devil as ha-diabolos, which in most situations in the Bible would be used to refer to the devil himself, the actual devil, Satan. And so most Bible-believing scholars believe that the actual devil, Satan, the evil one himself, was present to tempt Jesus here. And, and that Jesus was being physically tempted, not, not just happening in his mind, but he was facing the devil face to face. And so we'll, be, we'll, we'll look at the different ways uh, Jesus was tempted here and how Jesus models for us how to ward off temptation and how Jesus wins where man has failed. So before we dive in further, let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we uh, pray for you to reveal your truth to us, reveal to us um, how you have sent your Son Jesus and how this account of the temptation proves that he is truly your Son, that he is uh, God incarnate, that he is Emmanuel, God with us, and that we can find comfort in this truth, and we can have victory in this truth, because we know that everything he does from this point forward will be as the Son of God, and ultimately as our Savior. And so, Lord, help us to understand this more and more, that Jesus is our Savior, and that it is only in him we can find salvation, that we can find truth, that we can find purpose as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when I was uh, young in my faith, I looked up, looked up to those who um, cared for me when I was young, and, and they were role models for me. In youth group in particular, I had a, a few counselors and, and, and a pastor who really cared for me and, and showed me God's love and basically uh, took me under their wing and discipled me. Maybe, maybe not in the most formal way, but even in, for, in informal ways, uh, really 
uh, showed me how to live a Christian life. But there was one teacher uh, after I left youth group a few years afterwards, I learned that he actually fell away from the church and from his faith in God. And we not only see this happening between uh, amongst our, our, our church members, or even our lay people or, or just regular churchgoers, but we see this even happening to our church leadership at times. We see leaders that we have looked up to just fall away from the church. Perhaps for those of us who have grown up in the church, we have witnessed this ourselves time and time again. Uh, people we may have looked up to may have fell, fallen in different ways, in, in moral failure at times. And, and when this happens, you feel a sense of sadness. But, but even more than that, you may feel betrayal and a sense of hypocrisy because we as Christians, we, we claim to seek to be good and to do good. And we urge one another to uphold the law because of Christ. But we see that many Christians do not live up to that. And we fall time and time again. And, and it is even more sad when we see our leaders fall. And the worst is when they fall in very public ways. Where, and in, in horrible ways such as a scandal of adultery and sexual abuse or even child abuse. We, we look up to these men and women and, and venerate them for for their teaching, for how they uh, seem to live such faithful lives, for doing so many great things in the name of Christ. But then they fail, and, and we grieve when they do so. But the reality is we should not be surprised when this happens, because sin is very real, and sin is very real for all of us, and it continues to torture us, and we continue to struggle with it, even in our daily lives. No man can truly withstand temptation and sin, even those who seem to be the most faithful ones, those we look up to, they even are susceptible to sin. Even I am susceptible to sin, and I must be aware of that constantly each and every day. We all fall short of His glory, and even those who we consider to be the good and faithful servants, even they too fail. And some of them, unfortunately, fail in, in these horrible ways. This is the reality of humanity. None of us are good enough. None of us pass the test. We constantly fail. And here in our passage for today, we see Jesus being tested. And we see that Jesus himself here proves that he is the Son of God, the one who saves us from sin, and that even though Adam has failed and we have failed, he succeeds and Jesus Christ wins. He is the, the new Adam, the new and perfect Adam. He is the one we can trust because if he fails here, Jesus will be in the same category as Adam, the one who failed the original temptation in the Garden of Eden. And we, the rest of humanity, we ourselves, can finally now be freed because of Christ, freed from temptation because of his work. So let's see how he was tempted here. Well, when we see 
his temptation, we see Satan appeals to Jesus' human desires and weakness. Jesus, too, had weaknesses, and, and not in the same way as, as we do in the sense that we sin, but his weakness was that he was a human being, that he endured the same miseries of humanity, and he dealt with the same physical pains and struggles that we endure. He got tired, he got sleepy, he got hungry, he probably even got sick due to his human condition. And that is how Satan tempts him first, through hunger. We see Jesus being tempted to create bread out of stones to relieve his own hunger. Verse 3 of our passage says, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now, in response to this, uh, Jesus quotes from the Pentateuch, more specifically Deuteronomy 8, uh, verse 3. And he says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Satan tempted Jesus to use his power to, to, to satisfy his human desire of hunger instead of trusting in God to su- supply all that he needed during this temptation. Food is not what gives us true sustenance. Ultimately, it is God's word and power that gives us sustenance. It is God who gives us bread, right? Food is not what truly satisfies us. Trusting in God and obeying him is more important than even food, even fulfilling our hunger. Now, we have to remember here, Jesus was really, really hungry. He, he was human just like us. So when he fasted for 40 days, he felt hunger like any other human would feel hunger if you fasted for 40 days. And 40 days is on the verge of, of, of being a, about to die because of hunger. Because um, studies say that you can live for 40 days without food. But... Uh, most people would die within around 45 to 60, maybe even a little longer than that, days of not eating. And so you can see Jesus is on the verge of, of almost dying because he has not eaten any food for 40 days. Um, every year, our, our youth group, we do a 30-hour famine to raise funds for World Vision. Um, and World Vision is a Christian organization that... Uh, does a lot of humanitarian aid, and they seek to, to share the gospel uh, through their humanitarian aid around the world. And we actually do a fundraiser where we make and provide food and snacks for our Friday night fellowships while we are fasting. And we, and we do this just to get a glimpse of the hunger people feel all over the world, because half the world lives off just $2 a day. And even fasting for just 30 hours, for most of us, it is so, so hard. Um, some of us feel woozy and we feel grouchy and tired. And, and that's only after 30 hours. And 30 hours is obviously just a tiny fraction compared to 40 days. And when we finally do break our fast, we, we eat this uh, tomato oxtail soup. And it, it's good, but it's nothing truly special. But in that moment, it is probably the best thing in the world because 
uh, in those moments, even something that is remotely good is extraordinary. And so now imagine being able to make whatever food you want. Imagine you were Jesus and being able to, to turn stone into bread. Doing what, making whatever food you wanted instantly and being able to eat uh, the most delicious thing you've ever eaten. Jesus had that power. But that would mean that he would be giving up, uh, giving in to his temptation. And he'd be giving in to his human desire. Even though he is called to obey and trust in God, he is called to resist the, this earthly human desire. And that's something we can all relate to. There are moments where our human desires lead us away from, the, from trusting in God. When I was a kid, I remember uh, at, at church, um, we would have food in a potluck or special event. And, and us kids, we just couldn't help ourselves. We would just bolt to the front of the line because we were so excited and we were so hungry. But our aunties and uncles would always remind us Right. Hey, please let the elderly go ahead of you so that they don't have to deal with this crowd of people when they get their food. Right. So even in something little like that, we see our sinful intentions. We see that we uh, seek to satisfy our own desires first. We have this innate selfishness and we give into that all the time. And, if, and of course, uh, when you're a kid, you may not know any better. But on the other hand, even in our children, we see that there is this innate selfish desire that they have and that we all have. And if we're honest with ourselves, we've all made decisions like that, even if some of us are adults, right? We've, we've sought our own selfish desires. Instead of seeking to obey and trust in the Lord, we have sought to satisfy whatever desires that we may have. But Jesus himself did not give in to his desire. And of course, needing food is not bad. We all need food. We all need to eat to survive. And Jesus loved eating food. We see him around food all the time, and we'll see that in the Gospel of Luke as well. But when we seek to fill our own hunger, and I'm not just talking about food here, when we seek to fill our own hunger at the expense of other people, at the expense of their uh, filling their hunger and at the expense of uh, obeying God, what does that truly reveal about us? It reveals that we'd rather put ourselves first than, to, than anything else, above all else. Of course, Jesus had the right himself to, to put himself above all else. He is the Son of God. But in that moment, that was not what he was called to do. That was not his purpose. And if he went against his purpose, he would be disobeying the Lord. But instead, he chose to obey God, and he did not give in to this temptation. The second temptation that we see here is in, uh, in Luke 4 is when the devil takes Jesus up to a high place to show him all the kingdoms of the world. Obviously, it's not the whole world, but... He is showing a huge part of uh, the kingdom in that, in that area, in Jerusalem, in Israel, right? And Satan says to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I 
give it to whom I will. Now, Satan claims uh, this authority in the world. And, and, and in some sense, it's true. He is the ruler of this world. It says that in, in John 12. But the claim is not totally true, however. Of course, he has some power and control over this world. We are afflicted uh, with sin, so he has reign uh, over us in the sense of he can uh, manipulate us and he can lie to us. And, and we, a lot of times, give in to that as well. But we also know that he is the father of lies, right? So he does not have full authority like God does. Only God has full authority. So Satan is lying to Jesus, saying that he has the authority to give the world to him. Well, no, of course, only God has that authority. So Jesus knows this, and he quotes Scripture again, and he says, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He is being tempted to break the first commandment, to have no other gods. And yes, even though Jesus himself is God, uh, and Jesus deserves the glory of the world, that again, that was not his time and place. And it would go against his calling from God as he was being sent by the Father. And that is why all glory belongs to God at this moment. Then for the last temptation, Satan sets Jesus at the pinnacle of the temple, which most scholars uh, would say is the southeastern corner of the temple where Solomon's portico or Solomon's porch would be. And it was basically a relatively high place, maybe around 450 feet high or so. And basically challenges Jesus to jump off and have the angels catch him. Now, this time, the, the devil quotes scripture, actually, to Jesus. And he does, the, does this from Psalm 91, 11 to 12. But he grossly misuses scripture. And he says this, For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Obviously, the psalmist does not intend for someone to force God to protect him. And it would be a misuse of Jesus' power to put God to the test. As he replies, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 6 here. And so after this uh, last temptation, the evil one, Satan, departs. And, um, and he knows that he has been defeated. And the amazing, amazing thing about how Jesus fights off the evil one in all these temptations is that he ans- the answers come from God's word. And we see that the word has immense power to defeat the attacks of the evil one and temptation. In Ephesians 6, we see the Apostle Paul talk about how to defend ourselves against spiritual warfare. And he says in verse 17, to carry the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Meaning we have the Word of God in our hearts. And it is the the weapon that will help us ward off temptation. So God's Word is central for us to defeat Satan's attacks and temptations. The way the evil one tempts us and attacks us is through lies. He lies to us. He constantly lies. 
And he tempts Jesus with lies here. He tempted Adam with lies. He does the same with us. And the only way to fight off lies is when we give, when we use the truth. We have the truth in God's word, in Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the is truth. So when we preach the gospel and the truth of the gospel to ourselves, that is how we ward off temptations of the evil one. So that is why we emphasize the reading of God's word and having a regular devotional life. Because we want our people, we want all of you to be the most knowledgeable, not, not to be the most knowledgeable about scripture than to be so good at understanding theology or anything like that. That is not the point. The point is we encourage the reading of God's word because it is in reading his word where the gospel speaks to us, where it impacts us and it changes us in our daily lives. It reminds us of God's will. And so when we read scripture, we are reminded that our job, my our job is not our our, our, our most important thing, our family is not our po- most important thing. We don't live for those things. We actually live for God. We, we see God reveal to us when we read the scriptures uh, how to react in certain situations in our lives and how we treat our friends and how we love our neighbors and our coworkers and how we are patient with them and how we um, uh, persevere through difficult circumstances. God's word also reminds us of our sinfulness as well, how we need to constantly repent of our sins and confess them to the Lord and to one another, and how we are so prone to wander away from him, how we need, we need to guard ourselves from that and against that. And it also revives our hearts when we read scripture, when we see um, how he encourages us and blesses us. And when we read the Psalms, we see our comfort is in the Lord and how our love, joy, and peace is found in him and how he is faithful to the very end and how he promises to continue to show his love and grace and his faithfulness to us. That is the power of God's word when we have it in a regular basis in our lives. I read the story of a 14-year-old girl named Kimberly who grew up in church and was a missionary kid actually, uh, meaning her parents were missionaries overseas. So she had never really, uh, uh, but but she had never really actually read the Bible for herself, uh, even until that age of 14 years old. Um, and, and even though she would be assigned Bible homework uh, because she was homeschooled, she would not really do it. But one day, uh, for whatever reason, her conscience spoke to her, and she admits maybe it was the threat of her mom finding out. Uh, uh, she began to read, and she began to read the book of Acts. And she read a chapter a day for 28 days. And she says this about that whole process that she went through. As I read God's word consistently, day by day, something amazing began to happen. Something inside me began to change. I began to love my family more. I began to look forward to fellowship with believers at church. I began to desire to live righteously. I began to recognize and forsake sins in my life. But the most important change is that I began to know and love God. 
Kimberly didn't become a super spiritual kid or anything like that. And she confessed that she continued to battle uh, with a lot of different struggles in her life over the next years. But when we read his word consistently and take in his truth, God works in us and God graciously intervenes in our lives. We begin to see God's faithful heart and love for us and we begin to see his sovereignty over the world and we begin to see his hand at work in every part of our lives because God is always at work. But when we read his word, we can, we can begin to see it that much more. That is what the word can do for us. That is why this year, our, our whole church wants to dig into God's word that much more, especially during this time where we, we need it more than ever with all these tumultuous things happening in our world. So please join us. Please join uh, our church as we seek to do daily Bible reading together. It is a great way for us to dig deeper into the truths of God. And our hope is that when we do this, that it'll change us, it'll transform us, and it'll help us to see God for who he is. Jesus was sent to be tested to show that he is indeed human, but he is unlike any other human. Because in the face of dire temptation, he would not give in. He would pass the trial and, and he would succeed and prove his righteousness and his sinlessness. Satan did all that he could to uh, prevent the suffering of Jesus. This, this was the whole point of the temptation for Jesus to relinquish the suffering that he was enduring. Right? But Jesus was called to suffer, to endure this suffering of temptation. And it is a small taste of the suffering that he would endure on the cross. But nevertheless, it was suffering and, and suffering that is not obvious. Right? Th these temptations are not always obvious. And the evil one tempts us and attacks us in the not so obvious ways. Satan was willing to let Jesus have all the glory and have all the authority as long as he would gain it without suffering. Right? Satan wanted Jesus to use his power to, to display it, but it would mean that Jesus would go against his calling to suffer. Remember, Jesus' end goal was not to be this warrior king, but to be a suffering king, the suffering servant, to die and to be killed. Where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. Where man fails, Jesus wins. He is indeed the Son of God. He is indeed the one that the prophets have spoken about. He is the one who will save us from our failures, our sins, because even though we are constantly tempted to sin, Jesus is the sinless one, the perfect one. So when we fail and fall into sin, we know that Jesus has not. He does not. He does not. He has never sinned. He is the perfect sacrifice. So not only are we saved by the sinless Lamb of God as we continue to move through uh, the, his public ministry in the Gospel of Luke, and we will see this uh, for the rest of our series, 
we are now also free from sin by his perfect sacrifice. And we can learn from Jesus' Jesus's example to fight off the lies of the evil one with the truth of God's word. So may we rest in his truth here today. And may we continue to rest in, in his truth every day. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we get to experience your truth, Lord. That we have experienced uh, this truth of, of Jesus being tempted, but succeeding and winning against the evil one. Lord, it is extraordinary to think that you sent your son for, for this purpose, to be the sinless lamb of God to be the perfect sacrifice. And Lord, even though we have failed, Adam has failed, Lord, your son has prevailed. And so God, we cling to that truth and hope, and you have given us now an example of how to ward off temptation by, by digging into your word, by using your word to remind us of the gospel, to remind us of your promises, to remind us of the truth, because we are so prone to forget the truth, Lord. So God, we pray that you would continue to help us and lead us, Lord, as we seek to fight off the temptations of the evil one in our daily lives. And Lord, may we be saturated by your word and truth. So Lord, help us here today. Help our church as we continue to seek to dig into your word in 2021. And Lord, may our church be a church that glorifies Christ for what he has done and give it all to you and to obey you and trust in you and to live our lives for you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you again, Cornerstone, for joining us and God bless. We'll see you next time.